listening to Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel on this May the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2019. And I should alert you to call in early in order to ask your question, because near the end, we get a bunch and we can't get to all of them. If you're in St. Louis, simple number, 821-0850. And if you want a toll-free number, it's 1-800-730-2727. So, while we're waiting for a phone call to come in, I preached last evening to congregations, and I was talking about, I, I like the book of Revelation, when I left the seminary, I did not understand the book of Revelation. And then I had a course, a graduate course with Dr. Lewis Brighton, who's written the commentary that Concordia Publishing House has for sale. And I would encourage you to go take a look at that commentary. It is an excellent understanding of the proper view of the book of Revelation. So it talks about those who are coming out of the great tribulation. And so I simply ask the question, those who are delivered from the great tribulation, do we need to wait till we get to heaven before we're delivered from the great tribulation? Because it talks about there is going to be no more sickness, no more death, etc., etc. So that's kind of what I want to take a look at but first of all, we do have a priority when it comes to callers. So let's go talk with Mike. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Better. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I think I can show in two Bible verses that Jesus and the apostles drank fermented wine and not grape juice at the Last Supper. Go, go. Okay. Well, my first one is Isaiah, chapter 27, verse 2, and it states um, that ancient Israel grew red grapes, and, um, and, of course, red is the color of blood. And the ancient Greeks had no word for grape juice, so when you read the accounts in the uh, Gospels, it doesn't tell you either way, you know, because they just didn't have a word for it. And according to the Talmud, wine is not wine unless it is diluted by water, by a specific formula, making it non making it a non-intoxicating drink, and there's no reason to dilute grape juice. The Last Supper does not give details on the color of the wine either. In my last, in my second verse, which I think is is uh, John chapter 19, verse 34, and the prophetic pattern of the Last Supper was fulfilled when the uh, Roman soldier threw the spear in Jesus' side. And water and blood came out, and that's why it was such a. Uh, that's why it had such an impression on the apostle Saint John. Now I looked up Isaiah twenty-two verse seven. Oh, sorry, twenty-seven verse two. Oh, oh wow. Twenty-seven verse. Two. Yeah, I was wondering. It was talking about horsemen coming down yeah, and okay. Uh, defeat. Okay, let me read twenty-seven verse two. In that day, a pleasant vineyard sing of it. And that's the verse. Well, mine has more to it than that. Oh, it does. Here, let me. I got the King James version. Let me. I can look it up real quick. Oh. Uh, well, that's all right. 
Well, it says, let's see, I, I can see if I can find But it. it's still a pleasant vineyard, and it only would be a pleasant vineyard if it's ferm- fermented. And I think you're, remember, at the Passover, they definitely use this fermented wine. If it's diluted, mm-hmm. sure. Yes, in fact, it was normally six parts of water to one part of wine. Yeah, it's something like that. Listen, I had to put my glasses on, but but here's here's what it says in the... Uh, King James. King James Version. It says, uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. No, 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 no. You told me 27, verse 2. I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 27. I, I had an asthma attack. I'm probably not thinking straight. Last night. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 2. 27? Verse 2. It says, In that day sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. Wow, that is different. This says, in that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. See, that's why you should go by the King James Version. Well, you know what my favorite translation is? What? The Hebrew. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, but... Uh... And I don't have that in front of me to see. You see, you have what's called a tri- critical apparatus at the bottom of the Hebrew Bible where there are differences, and that's really important. But I absolutely agree with you, Mike, that they had fermented wine, and I really appreciate you bringing up those uh, Bible verses. Did you have to drink some to find them? No, I. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm no, pulling your leg. What I mean is, though, if uh, but you, you don't really have to know Hebrew because if you use a strong con- concordance, I mean, you can look it up and it, it'll give the Hebrew translation. You know, very good. Excellent. And we'll pray for your asthma condition. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for calling. Uh, that's a, a good friend, uh, Mike. And we'll just move on down and talk to, is this Marilyn? It is indeed. How can I help you? I just wanted to say to you, I enjoyed yesterday when you asked the question about Who's going to be saved if it was on his phone? Because today, I was listening to KFU, naturally, and early morning, and in fact, brought out that God wants everyone to be saved. So, and how in fact that happens. And this is where my question comes today. In the conversation, or in the pastor's comments this morning, he mentioned that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. And yet, we know that faith is a gift from God. Now, how do you ask, and how do you receive it as a gift at the same time? Uh, yes. Uh, let me ask you. You have children, right? Oh, five. Yes. Did they? Yes. Okay. That was a gift from God, right? Your children. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Did they ever have to ask you for anything? Yes. You see, just because they're a gift from God, they still need your help, and they would ask you for help and comfort. When when they got sick, did they ever call on you for some medicine? Oh, big time. And see, that's what was meant by that pastor, is that we recognize that a lot of times 
we are really not right with God because of our sin. And so we ask for a measure of the Holy Spirit, not only to repent of our sins, but also to give us a proper understanding of the promises he has to get us through our predicament. What a fantastic analogy. Thank you, thank you, Pastor. I listen to you all the time, and you'll always be dear to my heart. Well, thank you very much for calling, Marilyn. We sure appreciate it. God bless. And to you. Okay. And uh, we're just going to go down the line right now, and I believe this is Steve. Hi, Steve. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, hi, Pastor. Um, question: uh, Are people were people saved? Uh, you know, going to heaven differently before Jesus was born and after he was born, and, and what exactly is the difference for people who were uh, going to make it to heaven from before he was uh, born and died for our sins? Boy, that's an excellent question, and it really moves me back to the Reformation teaching, which means we are not saved by our works we do, we're instead saved through faith. Now, Steve, what that means is trusting promises from God. So let me give you an example of someone in the Old Testament before Christ was born and died who was saved by trusting a promise. God came to Abraham and told him, I know your wife is 65 years old, you're also 75 years old, but she's going to have a baby, his name is Isaac, and he will, through his seed, will come the Messiah. Now, women normally didn't have babies at all at that age, but the Bible says Abraham believed the promise of God and God accounted it to him as righteousness. That's how you are saved, Steve. Jesus says that he has sent himself to die on the cross. Do you believe that promise from Jesus? then you are saved in the same way that Abraham was saved. If you take a look at Israel, and I'm listening to CDs of the whole Bible, it's amazing how many times they fell from faith. The whole book of Judges is a recounting of their falling from faith. God sends them a judge, brings them back into his presence, and then they fall again from faith again and again. So those who remain faithful to the promises of God are saved. And therefore, the promises we share today is the Messiah has come in the person and work of Jesus. And what he did on the cross is what Abraham had heard from God, that many people would be saved through the seed of Isaac. Is that helpful? Yes, yes, but so the burnt the burnt offerings didn't help anybody be saved. It was just a sign of their trust. Well, actually, it's the opposite. 
the burnt offerings were a sign that they were sinners in need of a Savior. We call that the ceremonial laws. That's why we no longer have ceremonial laws today. We don't sacrifice sheep. We don't do circumcision. Because if you want to show somebody that they are sinful, you just point to the cross where Jesus had to die in order to redeem sinful people. So the ceremonial laws are no longer necessary. You may want to look at uh, Acts, that chapter where they're having a big discussion whether the Gentiles should be saved apart from circumcision. And they come to the conclusion, nope, the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles in the same way that the Holy Spirit came to us Jews. And therefore, there's no distinction between male or female, a Greek or Jew, slave or free. So if somebody tells me that people before Jesus were saved by uh, believing. Yeah, but somebody somebody in a Bible study recently told me it was from the burnt offerings. Um, other than the Abraham passage you mentioned, were there, are there any other passages to bring up? Well, look at David. David sins with Bathsheba. Nathan comes to him, tells him about this parable about a rich man who took away uh, a, a little sheep, little lamb from a poor man. David says, bring him to me. I will put him to death. And Nathan says, thou art the man. That's what you did with Bathsheba. Now, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And immediately Nathan says, you will not die. You have been forgiven. Because he confessed his sins and believed in the promises. Just read David's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And he really was weeping, hoping his son that Bathsheba had would not die. But then afterwards, when he did die, David put on new clothes, began to eat, and the servants were surprised. They said, you know, while he was still alive, you were really sad now that he's died. Why are you so joyous? And his answer was, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. So that's a wonderful resurrection passage in the Old Testament because of the faith of David. He, too, is saved. And uh, it seems like to me that Moses, David, and Abraham, part of that faith was they already believed in Jesus coming because of things that were said in the verses related to those people. Oh. Which is, I guess, just part of the faith you're talking about. Genesis 3.15 is the first time God gives a promise. And who does he give it to? <laughs> he gives it to Satan in the form of a serpent. And he says, yes, you will bruise the heel of the, serp, uh, of the Savior, but he will crush your head. And that's the cross where Jesus is bruised, but the process of dying on the cross ends up crushing the head of Satan. Because that's the main purpose Jesus came, is to receive you out of the kingdom of Satan and put you in the heavenly kingdom of the Holy Christian Church. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You too, sir. Thank you for calling. And um, I'm not going to get to my tribulation. We've got good calls here. Hi. 
James, you're on the air. Hello, Pastor. How are you? Well, I'm going to wait till you answer your question <laughs> to figure out how I am. Hi, hi, Pastor. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> okay. Well, I want you to help us approach this this question. We have two questions for you. Now, if dogma uh, does not change, should hymnals stay the same also? And what is the proper intersection between theology and worship music? How does that proper mix enhance the meaning of worship for the faithful? Theology and worship music, you said? Yes. Yes. Uh, you want and, to stay on the line? Yes, but I want to give you the second question because we were oh. studying uh, uh, the Good Shepherd today. Oh, okay, go. The, the, the second uh, question is, should believers regard absolution differently depending on whether the shepherd is a good shepherd or a hireling. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. All right, thank you. Those are good questions, James. You always have good questions. I appreciate that. I'm always fooling around with you. Okay, let's take a look at the first one. Um, if dogma doesn't ever change, why do hymns? The fact of the matter is a hymn is a reflection of the dogma. Dogma simply means the doctrines of the Bible. And they refer to Jesus dying on the cross, etc. Now, when I go to a hospital, there will be one person I'm praying for who's about to have a baby and another person I'm praying for who's going in for cancer treatment. My prayers are different because I'm using different Bible verses to give comfort. I've often said one of the best books you can ever buy, it's entitled Promises of the Bible. And there should be nothing in it but Bible verses. The only other item you should look for is they are categorized. And that's usually at the beginning of the book where, let's say you have a loved one who has died in the Lord, or you're losing your house or you're having problem with disobedient children, you can look those up and you will find Bible verses to help you cope with that situation. It really is what I was talking about earlier on tribulation. We are experiencing tribulation today. When God delivers us from tribulation, it doesn't mean that we don't get any tribulation. It means that he gives us the strength and comfort to cope with it. So even the death of a loved one, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope, because we have a sure hope. And that's the task of a pastor. So hymnals are a reflection. And for example, there are heresies going on today that weren't going on at the time of Jesus, let's say. Like, for example, you'll have a pastor stand up and he pretends that he is the Savior. And so sometimes you need a hymn using Bible verses to show his false teaching. Uh, hymns a lot of times are paraphrases. If you go into our uh, hymnal, I think there's four hymns based on Psalm 23. And only one of them quotes Psalm 23, word for word, the Lord is my shepherd. But the rest have other phrases 
to help us get through the problems we're having today. They're all still based on Psalm 23, but different ages would have different points. So, theology and worship. I will not put down a hymn to sing unless it is theologically accurate. And that's why I do use the Lutheran hymnals printed by Concordia Publishing House because they have had individuals go through them to make sure that they are accurate. It's really dangerous when a congregation decides to use another hymnal because maybe the contemporary songs sound good. But I don't find too many contemporary songs that have proper theology in them, and they will often give the impression that it's really up to you to save yourself. It's really up to you to become a better Christian, whatever that means. There is no way that we become better Christians except through repentance, and that is an act that God does in us. So, yes, I don't have any problem with hymns changing all the time to fit the specific false teachings that are going on in our day. Your other question was absolution. Uh, Let me see if I can read my note here. Um, The shepherd gives absolution. I'm not quite sure what your question was on that one, but it was... um, Absolution is done by the pastor, but remember what the first words of the absolution are. Upon this, your confession. Oh, I remember now. You were asking, is the absolution as sure if it's spoken by a proper pastor or a hireling? Now, if you look in the Bible, a hireling doesn't really care for the sheep. A hireling is somebody who may say the right things, but doesn't really mean them. Let me give you an example. We've all heard of a fellow named Jonah. God told him to go to a city of Gentiles and preach to them. Well, he didn't want to do that. He hated Gentiles. So he ran away, got swallowed by a great fish, And then when he was spit back up on the beach, he did go to Nineveh to preach. Now, remember, he preached for about three days, and Nineveh was a huge town at that time. And the people repented of their sins. But what did Jonah do? He went up on a hill to watch to see that Nineveh got destroyed by God because he so hated Nineveh. Now, he spoke the word, but he really didn't care for the people at all. And so I would say, let's say you are baptized by a preacher who is a hireling. He really doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. But he takes water, applies it to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is a valid sacrament, even though the person doing it is an unbeliever the pastor, because God is really behind that. And so just like Jonah, he would not have had a smile on his face when he was going into Nineveh to tell them, boy, 
you folks are really in trouble. You better repent. He probably said, uh, God considers you sinners and you should repent of your sins. Probably spoke in a low voice. And how did the whole town get converted? Because some people heard Nineveh and began, uh, heard Jonah and began to spread the word throughout Nineveh as to what Jonah said. I mean, how many times do we have missionaries go overseas and they're only speaking to a small group of individuals from overseas, but they share the message with others, and guess what? Conversion occurs. So you never need to be concerned whether or not your pastor is a believer or an unbeliever when he speaks the absolution. However, you may be in a church where they don't believe baptism and the Lord's Supper are truly sacraments, uh, such as the Reformed churches. Uh, Therefore, when the pastor gives you the bread and the wine, if he does, you're not receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ because the church has made the sacrament invalid because of their false teaching. So for a sacrament to be valid... It needs to be done according to God's command. And for it to be effective, it is received by faith. I'm Tom Baker. There's a possibility I might not be here on Monday. An individual has died in one of the congregations I'm serving. But if I am here, we'll be talking about a reading from the sixth Sunday of Easter. And we pray that you're attending a church where you hear a great law and gospel sermon. I'm Tom Baker. Till next time, God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.